This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, everybody. You're listening to the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. This is episode 176, entitled Sacrifices and the Christian God, Part 1. In this week's episode, we will look at a distinction between two practices that are often lumped together, and that is sacrifice and worship. Now, worship was a very flexible and fluid practice in the ancient Near East. Within the Bible, you can find acceptable worship offered to God, to Jesus, to angels, to kings, and even to husbands. However, the practice of sacrifice and the giving of burnt offerings seems to be far more strict in regard to its recipients. How were sacrifices distinguished from acts of worship? To whom was the offering of sacrifices allowed within the ancient Near East? And as early Christians offered worship to the resurrected and exalted man Jesus, was he the object of sacrificial language? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is the significance and meaning of sacrifices in the ancient Near East. I'm going to start off reading some passages from the Hebrew Bible, which are going to demonstrate the difference between worship and sacrifice. So the first passage will be out of 2 Kings chapter 17, starting in verse 35. And it says, Yahweh made a covenant and commanded them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow down yourselves to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But Yahweh, who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and with an outstretched arm, him you shall fear, and to him you shall bow yourselves down, and to him you shall sacrifice. That's Second Kings 17, verses 35 through 36. And a passage like this, which there are numerous examples that we could cite, we can note the distinction that is made between worship, or in the case of this verse, it's the act of bowing down, and the offering of sacrifices. In both, the prohibition, you shall not fear other gods, and in the command, to him you shall fear, the act of offering sacrifices is distinguished from acts of worship, or the acts of bowing down. So it's common, I think, for a lot of people to assume that the offering of sacrifices and burnt offerings is included in acts of worship, but it seems that they are distinguished acts within the Old Testament. And we're going to see the same in the New Testament. 
and if they are distinguished, then we should look at them separately. Now I'm going to look at another passage here out of 2 Kings chapter 5, which really makes a distinction. And in this particular passage, we're going to see that the offering of sacrifices is only allowed in certain circumstances, but the offering of worship and bowing down is offered in a much more widely fluid set of circumstances. So here is the example from the dialogue between Naaman and Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 5, starting in verse 15. When Naaman returned to the man of God with all his company and came and stood before him, he said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So, please take a present from your servant now. But Elisha said, As Yahweh lives, before whom I stand, I will take nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Naaman said, If not, please let your servant at least be given two mules load of earth, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offering, nor will he sacrifice to other gods but to Yahweh. In this matter, may Yahweh pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there. And he leans on my hand, and I bow myself in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ramon, Yahweh pardon your servant in this matter. He said to him, Go in peace. So he departed from him some distance. That's 2 Kings chapter 5, verses 15 through 19. And in this particular passage, we can note there is a clear contrast between, on one hand, the offering of burnt offerings and sacrifices, and on the other hand, worshiping in the house or the temple of Ramon. Now, Elisha, the prophet, the man of God, actually grants Naaman's request to go and worship in the temple of Ramon, but Naaman says that he will no longer offer burnt offerings or sacrifices to any other god but Yahweh. So, in this passage, we can see that the offering of sacrifices and burnt offerings is limited to the true God, but the offering of worship is much more flexible. In fact, we have an interesting case here to where Elisha grants the fact that worship could be offered here to a false god, and he actually forgives him, pardons him for this particular point. But it demonstrates that there is a difference and there's a much more narrow sense to which the offering of sacrifices is due compared to the offering of worship, which is much more wide, flexible, and fluid. Now, other examples can be provided to demonstrate the widespread understanding that sacrifices and burnt offerings were reserved for the gods. We can offer an example from before the New Testament period, an example from during the New Testament period, and an example after the New Testament period, thus giving us a wide range of time to observe some patterns. So, prior to the New Testament period, I'm going to draw on the writings of Plato, and 
This is the dialogue between Socrates and Euthyphro. And in Plato's dialogue between Socrates and Euthyphro, Socrates plainly asks, quote, Sacrificing is making gifts to the gods, question mark. And Euthyphro responds, quote, exactly, Socrates, end quote. And that's in Plato's dialogue with Euthypro, 14 paragraph C. So Socrates asks that sacrificing is something where we're offering gift to the gods, and the response is exactly, yes. So that was how it was understood before the New Testament period. During the New Testament period, we have an example in the letters of Pliny the Younger to the Emperor Trajan. This actually happened at the early portion of the 2nd century CE. Now, Pliny the Younger was a governor who wrote many letters to the Roman Emperor Trajan. And we actually have those letters that have survived and the responses that the Emperor Trajan sent back to Pliny the Younger. Now, having found some Christians who were meeting illegally, Pliny the Younger offered to these Christians a test of loyalty. And those who failed the test were put to death. And this test involved Pliny bringing out a statue, or it was actually a bust, of the Emperor Trajan. And he told the Christians that they must offer wine and incense to the emperor. This is the offering of sacrifices. And we note here that for Pliny the Younger, the offering of sacrifice was the required litmus test of true loyalty. Worship by itself was not sufficient. And the Emperor Trajan writes back to Pliny the Younger, and he agreed with the way that Pliny had handled this particular test with the Christians. Offering sacrifices was the true litmus test, not the giving of mere worship. And you can read these epistles in their entirety in Pliny the Younger, Epistles, Book 10, paragraphs 96 through 97. Now, at the beginning of the 4th century CE, it is still clear that offering sacrifices was the truest form of devotion and worship. Eusebius, the Christian historian, wrote in his church history how Christian prisoners were being offered to be set free, but only if they offered sacrifices. And those who refused to offer sacrifices were tortured. And you can read about this in his Ecclesiastical History, Book 8, Paragraph 6, Verse 10. So there's an example from before the New Testament period, during the New Testament period, and after the New Testament period, demonstrating that sacrifices were the truest form of devotion directed to the gods. Worship by itself, which was much more fluid, was not sufficient enough in some cases. So let's move on to our second point, which is the early Christian sacrificial practices. Now, while early Christians largely regarded 
sacrifices and burnt offerings as something that were not required of the people of God in their literal sense. They still spoke of them in the New Testament documents within metaphorical terms, as if the sacrifices were spiritualized. Now, you can already see some evidence of the sacrifices being spiritualized within the Old Testament prophets, but it seems to be in full fruition with the early Christians who are no longer attending the Jerusalem temple. So let's look at some passages to demonstrate the sacrificial language that's used. And let's also look very clearly at the object of these giving of sacrifices. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. That's Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. And here we can see that the object of the offering of a living and holy sacrifice is God. They are offering these sacrifices to God. And we also, I want to point out that there's this language that this sort of practice is acceptable to God. And that's going to be very important to keep note of. These practices are acceptable to God. So we have sacrifices being offered in a metaphorical sense through pious Christian practices, through practical living. The object of these sacrifices is God, and the language that's used is that these pious practices are acceptable to God. Moving along, let's see what Paul says in Philippians 4, verse 18. Paul says, I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I am fully satisfied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That's Philippians chapter 4 and verse 18. So again, God is the object. We have sacrifices being used in a metaphorical sense. We have a fragrant offering, which was a gift that Epaphroditus brought from the Philippians to Paul. And this fragrant offering, the sacrifice, is described as acceptable and pleasing to God. God is the object, and the language that's used is that this metaphorical sacrifice is pleasing and acceptable. We can move on to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, and we can see that the author of Hebrews says, through him, and that him is Jesus, so through Jesus, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name, and do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. It's Hebrews chapter 13, verses 15 through 16. So here, God is the object. They are offering sacrifices. The sacrifices are metaphorical. They are the sacrifices of praise. And we can see the language continues to be that God is pleased with these sort of sacrifices. And yet Jesus is involved, but it's very important to note that Jesus is not the object of the sacrifices. The sacrifices are made through Jesus. Jesus is the agent 
through whom the Christians, the subjects, are offering the sacrifices to God. God is the object of the offering of the sacrifices. God is pleased. Jesus is involved, but Jesus is the agent. He is not the recipient. So that's an important distinction that we should make. Okay, let's look at another passage. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, which says, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That's 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 5. So again, we have the offering up of spiritual sacrifices through this spiritual priesthood that are functioning within the spiritual temple. The sacrifices are offered to the object, which is God. We have the language that these sacrifices are acceptable to God. And we also have Jesus Christ that's involved, but he is not the object of the giving of these spiritual sacrifices. Jesus is the agent through whom the Christians are offering these sacrifices. The Christians offer them through Jesus, but they are offered to God. So they're not offered to Jesus. So we have similar language of Jesus sometimes being involved, but he's not the object of the sacrifices. They are reserving the offering of sacrifices to God alone, just as we've seen with the practices in the ancient Near East, before the New Testament period, during the New Testament period, and even after the New Testament period. Early Christians continue to offer sacrifices, even in this metaphorical sense, to God alone. Jesus is sometimes involved, but sometimes when Jesus is involved, he is the agent through whom the Christians are offering these sacrifices. And that's a very important distinction when we start to think about how early Christians are understanding the role of the resurrected, exalted, and highly empowered Jesus. It doesn't seem that they are regarding Jesus at the level of God, or as co-equal as God, or as God himself, because they are not offering sacrifices to him. And that's really important. Now, I've noted in all of these passages that there is this language of things being acceptable and pleasing. This acceptable and pleasing language appears within all of these sacrificial offering contexts. Now, it would seem that these words suggest something to which God is the clear object. The givers of these sacrifices want to be acceptable to God. They want to be pleasing to God. And this often occurs within these sacrificial contexts. But since the sacrifices are being spiritualized in some sense to regard the acts as pious Christian practices, we can look in other places in the New Testament to see this sort of language of things that are acceptable, things that are pleasing. And we could do some word studies to see if God remains to be the object of these particular practices. So this will move us to our third and final point, which is acceptable language and practices in the New Testament. So I'm going to do a word study here on a couple of Greek words to show 
how the language is used within the New Testament. So the first word is apodektos, and this is the word that means acceptable. It's pretty rare. It's only showing up twice in all the New Testament, and both occurrences are in 1 Timothy. So the first passage is at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3-4, through 4. and this passage says, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's 1 Timothy 2, verses 3 through 4. So we can see the language of things being acceptable, and the object is that they are acceptable to God. Very clearly there. Christians want to be acceptable to God. They're using this acceptable language, which comes from the sacrificial context, the giving of burnt offerings context, and God is the object of this desire to be acceptable. The other occurrence of this Greek word, apodektos, shows up in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 4. And this one says, If any widow has children or grandchildren, they must first learn to practice piety in regard to their own family and to make return to their parents, for this is acceptable in the sight of God. It's 1 Timothy 5 verse 4. Again, we have this acceptable language. Christians want to be acceptable in their pious Christian practices, and God is the object of these acceptable pious practices. Now, that was the Greek word apodektos. We have a shorter word, which is just dektos in Greek. And this word is a very similar word involving favor or acceptable. And we can see this a little bit more frequently within the New Testament. The first time is in Luke chapter 4. And this is where Jesus is in the synagogue in Nazareth. And we can see Jesus citing from the Old Testament. And it says in Luke chapter 4, verse 16, When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and let the oppressed go free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. It's that word favor there that is this Greek word dektos. That's in Luke chapter 4 verses 16 through 19. Now whose favor is being proclaimed? It's the Lord's favor and in Isaiah chapter 61 the passage from which Jesus reading the Lord there is Yahweh. Whose favor is being sought? It's God's favor. It's Yahweh's favor. So they are proclaiming the year that is favorable to God, to Yahweh. We can also see this Greek word showing up in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 34. Then Peter began to speak to them, I truly understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. It's Acts chapter 10, verses 34 35. So again, we have this acceptable type language, which shows up in the sacrificial context, 
but it's being used a little bit more widely here about people that are acceptable and the object is clearly God. God is the one that shows no partiality and the people that fear him and do what is right, they are acceptable to him, i.e. they are acceptable to God. Moving along, let's look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Paul says, As we work together with him, we urge you also not to accept the grace of God in vain. For he says, At an acceptable time I have listened to you, and on a day of salvation I have helped you. See now is the acceptable time. See now is the day of salvation. That's 2 Corinthians 6, verses 1 through 2. And when Paul here cites from the Old Testament, where it says, At an acceptable time, I have listened to you. It's God speaking. And the word for acceptable is this Greek word, dektos. And it's clear that it is the acceptable time to God. Christians are wanting to be acceptable to God. And Paul is encouraging his readers to live in a fashion that is acceptable to God. God is the object of these acceptable, pious Christian practices. And the word dektos also shows up in a verse we previously read in Philippians 4, verse 18, which talks about sacrifices that are acceptable and pleasing to God. So we're seeing, again, acceptable, pleasing type language used in sacrificial context, the offering of burnt offerings, those sort of context, even though those sort of sacrifices were spiritualized in the early church, God remained the object of these practices. And that was consistent through the way that the offering of sacrifices was understood within the ancient Near East. So, in conclusion, we have observed that practices of worship giving homage, and bowing down were very flexible in the ancient Near East. While it was common to offer varying levels of worship to different objects, both God and human, the cultic practice of making burnt offerings and sacrifices was reserved, at least by Jews and Christians, for God alone. We first noted that within the Hebrew Bible, the distinction was made between worship and sacrifice, with worship being allowed in a more flexible manner and sacrifice being the more strict practice. We then looked at the practices of the early Christians in the New Testament and noted that their language of sacrifice and offerings was directed to God alone. Although the sacrificial language was nuanced to a more spiritualized manner in daily pious practices, the object of these sacrifices was always God. Sometimes Jesus was involved, but he was always, in these instances, the agent through whom spiritualized sacrifices were made to God. In other words, early Christians, despite their high praise that was given to Jesus, never offered sacrifices to him. Sacrifices were offered 
to God alone, never to Jesus. Lastly, we saw that the language of sacrifices and offerings being pleasing and acceptable were used in a variety of pious Christian practices. After studying a few Greek words denoting these practices, it was demonstrated that the goal of early Christians was to be found pleasing and acceptable to God, not to Jesus Christ. In sum, the common cultural practice of limiting sacrifices and burnt offerings to God alone was maintained by early Christians. This indicates that the highly exalted man Jesus was not viewed as attaining a co-equal status with God. For God alone was the object of early Christian sacrificial language. If sacrifices were the true litmus test of one who is truly God, then it should be discussed more prominently than acts of worship and homage in discussing the differences between God and Jesus. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Please join us next week as we continue our study in early Christian language and practices regarding sacrifices in order to see to whom these practices were directed by the early Christians. Please look forward to this episode. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider supporting us as we promote the sound truths of the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. If you'd like to donate, you may check out the episode's description for a link to PayPal. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. It is hosted by Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks, please take care.